Amen. Amen. Jan, thank you for praying for the bringing and the hearing of God's word. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the service that we're going to tackle, we are going to, Elaine is going to tackle a very challenging text. Um, We're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians with a focus on the word consecration, which means set apart. And we're looking at each passage through the lens of how we as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death, we're set apart in this world for his purposes. And so we're looking at various ways that we're set apart. And um, as we move through the book, we've just come through um, thinking about how we have rights and we can give up those rights for the gospel. And we're, we're moving toward a section where we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts and the way that we use the various gifts that God gives, and specifically our mouth and for a number of the gifts. But before that, um, there's this probably one of the hardest passages in Scripture to understand, uh, chapter 11, verse 2 to 16. And as we looked ahead at this series a number of months ago, um, Pastor Jalisa and Pastor Gina and I thought, you know, this is a good opportunity to... Um, not have one person sort of go it alone. Let's draw together a number of preachers and let's meditate together on several commentaries and what we hear the Lord saying. Let's wrestle through this together. So we invited Cody and Marissa and Pastor Elaine, who works with the denomination. Cody and Marissa are working on the campus to meet with the three of us and the six of us. We're going to meet in December and we all had five commentaries that we were uh, assigned to read. And then a snowstorm hit. And we couldn't meet that day because nobody wanted to be on the roads. And so we rescheduled for January, knowing Pastor Gina couldn't make it. And we asked Elaine if she would mind to lead that meeting in Pastor Gina's absence. I was going to take notes. So we were supposed to meet a couple, week and a half or so, two weeks ago in January. Well, then Pastor Jalisa and I he both came down with COVID. <laughs> and so then we... we um, we asked the Lord, what, what should we do? And um, multiple of us had the prompt, ask Elaine if she'd be willing not just to lead that meeting with Cody and Marissa without the three of us, but would she also be willing to preach? And um, she, she was very gracious and said she was. This is really, actually, you'll, you'll hear if she says anything, I don't know if you're going to say about what you, your work with the denomination, but it's very consistent with the work she does um, with our denomination. But I just want to honor Elaine and thank her um, because she's doing this on top of her regular ministry. And this is the second time in about three and a half months, maybe three months, that she's taken a last minute phone call from me and um, and done this. She also took a last minute phone call from me in November when our registration for growing the church and the power of the Holy Spirit kept growing and growing and growing. I said, Elaine, I need another small group leader would you be willing to come out? And she she took two days off work to come and to lead a small group. Her work blessed her because it was in line with work. But so I just want to thank Elaine and uh, invite her up. So Elaine, come on up. Jan's prayed for you, and um, the Holy Spirit anoint and guide you now as you bring God's word to us. Thanks. Mm-hmm. 
So this is like consecrated, embodied, right? When God uh, speaks to all the pastors and says, hey, we all feel like uh, God's calling you to preach today. You say, okay, I am set apart for this work and trust that through this difficult passage, God's going to speak uh, to me as well as to you. I'm going to back up so I can see you all. Uh, so as Dave said, I'm Elaine May. Uh, I pastored Mayfair Christian Reformed Church uh, for uh, five years. And I'm currently working for the denomination, the Christian Reformed Church of North America, doing women's leadership development, which is how it kind of aligns with this passage. And uh, I'm also, so that's half my work. The other half of my work is working on a grant that the Christian Reformed Church received from the Lilly Endowment on how to create thriving congregations. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's also good and exciting work. One of the ways we create thriving congregations is to welcome the gifts of both men and women in the church. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And I make that uh, very specific uh, statement because if you're following along in another translation or in the ESV in particular, you're going to see very quickly that the passage is translated quite differently. And there are reasons for this that relate to the theological position of the translators on the role of women. So uh, our context and our culture influences our reading of scripture. And so to commit to consecrating ourselves to Jesus and to his mission, well, that requires that as much as possible, we release ourselves from a desire to hear Paul confirm our experience or confirm our bias. And I say that because our egos really want to be right. And so sometimes we can come to Scripture just to prove that we're right. And that's, I think that's particularly true when we come to difficult passages like the one we're looking at today. So when, when the ego uh, is strong, we miss the gift of grace that God has for us in the passage. And uh, it's because it comes into conflict, right, with our, with our earthly worldview. And so I invite us to remain open and curious as we read and reflect on God's message for us today. Uh, like Pastor Dave mentioned, it's worth mentioning that this is like one of the most discussed and most written on passages in 1 Corinthians. Uh, the scholars and uh, translators say uh, it's very difficult. This is a very difficult passage. Uh, so I, you know, there's like 15 verses and there are no less than nine controversies. Um, yeah, so we're not going to deal with all of them. We could be here all day. We're not going to deal with all of them. But we are going to get to the principle at work in the passage, which is where we're going to spend most of our time. 
So uh, please know that it's with great humility that I present a message that will, with the Holy Spirit's help, encourage and build up and edify this body of believers. So let's read together from 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 2. Paul says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off and her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it, a, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. And now you understand why it's difficult. <laughs> what is going on in this passage? Uh, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to do some work on it together. So being relatively new myself to Gold Ave and not knowing many of you very well, I admit that I don't know the extent to which uh, you understand the biblical foundation for men and women leading together in the church. Right? Where is the biblical foundation for women fully participating in the life of the church? Now, this is what we experience here at Gold Avenue. Already this morning, we have men and women leading in worship together. We have men and women praying and sharing words from the Lord together. We have men and women praying, right, in family prayer together. It's an example of honoring Right? God honoring participation in worship. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's fundamentally what Paul is getting at in this passage. 
Now, the reason I felt like it was necessary for us to go to the foundational principles for the practice that we share here is because I regularly hear, uh, in my own context, people who say, well, it's great that the church is finally catching up with society by allowing women to lead. That's not the way it is at all. (laughs) Actually, the church, uh, God has always intended for men and women to partner together. So the root, the root of this full participation is what Paul unpacks in the passage. It's rooted in creation and it's rooted in redemption in Christ. So let's get a couple things out of the way before we get started. What the passage is not about and what you're not going to hear this morning. So the passage is not about the Trinity. Paul's not teaching about the Trinity in this passage. He doesn't use the words Father, Son, and Spirit. The passage is also not about husbands and wives. So Paul addressed marriage in chapter 7. He affirmed equality among men and women in chapter 7. And so this passage is consistent with what he taught, but it's not about husbands and wives. And it's not about a hierarchy of authority, right? This is not, Paul's not making a statement about hierarchy. The sequence in verse 3 that we're going to look at in a few minutes It begins with Christ, the head of every man. Now, the order that Paul uses is logical and it's chronological, not hierarchical. Paul begins by commending the church for holding the traditions that he's taught them. Now, in this passage, Paul's responding to a question that was sent to him by the church about something he didn't teach them. So he's not uh, correcting or chastising them about something. He's teaching on something that he didn't teach on when he was with them. So verse 16 confirms this. Like verse 16 says that Paul nor the other churches he started practice the Corinthian custom that he's going to address in the passage, right? So none of the other churches share this practice or custom when men and women pray and prophesy in the church. So the presenting issue, we're going to call it the presenting issue, is the custom. It's the custom that is heavily debated in the commentaries. The debate revolves around whether Paul's talking about veils, or caps, or the way people wear their hair in worship. And we could spend a lot of time talking about those things. But I don't want us to get distracted by that, because that's not the fundamental principle at work in the passage. What we need to know is that veils and caps and how people wore their hair in the first century symbolized something in the Greco-Roman world. Now, the custom was practiced by both men and women, 
And the custom blurred gender distinction. So it blurred the lines between male and female. That is, is pretty much uh, agreed on, that in some way this practice blurred gender difference. In some way, the custom said something about the person's status or gender. And the fact that Paul doesn't have to spell it out for the listeners is because, well, they're asking the question and they're living in the, the, the uh, culture that practices this, this custom. So when we, what we're interested in today is understanding the principle that Paul is addressing. What is appropriate when it comes to the conduct of men and women in worship when they pray and when they prophesy? So he addresses both men and women equally. And I'm just going to give you the principle at the very beginning and then we'll unpack it together. So the principle at work is honorable conduct of men and women in worship acknowledges our union in creation and in Christ. Men and women are united in creation and in Christ. So we'll take, we'll take each one of those. First start with the union of men in creation, and then we'll talk about the union of men and women in Christ. So Paul illustrates the union of men and women in creation using the metaphor of a head. He begins his explanation with the theological statement about the chronological order of creation. There are three couplets in verse 3, and they're presented in the order of their creation. The use of head in the passage can be translated as source. So a source uh, is similar to the way we talk about the headwaters of a river, right? So the headwaters of a river are sourced in a particular place. For example, I didn't know this before I wrote or researched this sermon, but the headwaters for the Grand River, does anyone know where they are? Well, the, he- the headwaters are in Hillsdale County. The headwaters of the Grand River begin from natural springs in Hillsdale County, which is just uh, outside of Jackson, Michigan. The river, we say, has a source. It has a head. It didn't appear from out of nowhere. The headwaters are its source. So when we read verse 3, Paul says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Christ is the head of every man. Christ is the source of every man. And we can say this with confidence because it's consistent with what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians in chapter 8, verse 6, where Paul says that the Messiah is the agent of creation. He's the source of creation. So man is the head 
or yeah, and the head of woman is man. Man is the source of woman. In Genesis 2, Eve is created out of Adam's side. Right? So Adam is the source of Eve. And then God is the head of Christ. The head of Christ is God. God is the source of the Messiah. So you see chronologically, these are the events as they happened. God sends the Messiah again in verse uh, or chapter 1 verse 30 of Corinthians. Paul said Jesus Christ was sent by God. He has become for us wisdom from God. So Paul in this these three couplets begins and ends with the Messiah which supports what Paul says later in the passage, everything comes from God, right? So he comes full circle. Everything comes from God. Man and woman are connected, united in our creation. So let's take a minute to look at the creation story. Genesis 1 there are these three verses. In the first verse, God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, they have a plan. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creation that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So in creation, man and woman are to bear the image of God and bring glory to their creator by partnering in the care of creation, partnering in the population of the world, and in ruling or having dominion over all of God's creation. The distinction of their gender is fundamental to the way God created them and essential for them to fulfill his purposes. Both men and women need each other to fulfill God's design. We need each other's contribution. We're designed to partner and to share leadership in the work of fulfilling God's mission on the earth. God's created intent was full and equal partnership, both equally vested with the image of God and jointly called to steward the created world. So worship then that honors God includes the participation of both men and women equally because of our creation, because that's how we were created. We're interdependent. We need each other. 
You know, in creation, we derive life from each other, and both men and women derive life from God. Everything comes from God. The Messiah also comes from God. And God restores this design that was broken in creation. It's the splat right on the, on the gospel story. This design for us to be co-equals is broken in the fall. And Jesus comes to restore it. And so our union is also in Christ. Paul also addresses this in the passage where Paul again emphasizes our interdependence. And this time he adds that our union is also a spiritual union. Verses 11 and 12 say, In the Lord, nevertheless, in the Lord, Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. So you see here, Paul's like making the case that we are connected, we're interconnected, interdependent. In the Lord, we're spiritually united in Christ. The interdependence of man and woman in the Lord goes beyond Really, it goes beyond the unity of husband and wife. It's deeper, and it's a broader unity of men and women who are now together redeemed and united by the blood of Jesus. Paul is reiterating our equality and our unity in Christ. And his teaching here is consistent with what he wrote to the Galatian church, When he says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all, what does he say there? You're all one. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus restores what sin destroyed. And the way that Jesus, uh, he teaches on this, but the way he treats women, we see in the gospel, it's a significant correction to how men were treating women in the first century in the Jewish culture. Jesus saw women He uh, really saw them. He spoke with them. Women who were relegated to the margins, he engaged, he healed, he heard them. Jesus welcomed women into his circle of disciples. Luke 8 accounts for women who traveled with Jesus and the disciples and supported their ministry. And Jesus invites women into the work of sharing the gospel. The women at the tomb on the day of the resurrection were the first to proclaim the gospel. Even though in the first century, women were considered, like they were considered not to be reliable witnesses. They weren't allowed to testify in the courts. And yet Jesus gives them the honor of testifying to his resurrection. 
in the Lord, women and men are not separate from each other. Our shared identity in Christ ought to be reflected in our worship. Men and women together leading in worship by praying and prophesying together, just as you saw reflected here this morning. Now, all these things that Paul has been writing about come from God. So the Messiah being the source of every man in creation and man being the source of woman in creation and God being the source of the Messiah who unites men and women in redemption and the interdependence of man and woman in creation. God, or pardon me, Paul establishes this teaching before he teaches on the spiritual gifts. The sequence is significant. Men and women, equal in essence and equal in role. He establishes both men and women praying and prophesying in worship, shared leadership. There's no division or distinction of the roles here. right? Mixed gendered ministry partnership represent God's original plan being fulfilled. Okay, so what does this mean for us today? Well, it means there's no place for patriarchy in the church. There's also no place for feminism in the church. Both ideologies elevate their gender above the others. Neither has a place. And it's not a competition. Hear me, it's not a competition. It's not women pushing men out of the way. And it's not men putting up barriers for women to participate. God's design is that we mutually are interdependent. It also doesn't mean that we're indistinguishable from each other. Okay? So men and women are not the same. I don't want you to hear that I'm saying we're the same. There are gender distinctions. We're not interchangeable. Okay, so our postmodern culture, our context today wants to say that biology doesn't matter. Our context today wants to say that gender is a social construct that you can interpret for yourself. That's what, that's what our context, our cultural context says, that gender identity is fluid and it's subjective. Worship that doesn't allow or doesn't welcome difference, the differences that men and women were created to have, it doesn't bring honor to God either. So let me say it more directly. So allowing the women to do the same things as men, but expecting that she's going to do them in a way that's indistinguishable from men, doesn't honor God. Nor does emasculating men and expecting them to behave as women when they're in the church. And I don't think this is the case at gold, but when we look at the church at large, 
the membership of the church is like 60% women and 40% men. It does not reflect uh, the demographic of men and women in, in our country, right? This should be troubling to us. We need to be aware of uh, the disparity and, and be aware of the feminization of the church. So that's when we value characteristics uh, that more closely align with women, and then we have marginalized men, which is also not God-honoring. Right? So when I say women should have full access and no barriers to participating in the church, it cannot be at the expense of men. That doesn't honor God. It's not what he designed. So when men and women use their gifts equally in the church, guess what? The church flourishes. And the funny thing is uh, that the marketplace, the world, has discovered this. So sometimes it's said that the, that the church is finally catching up with the world. The reality is the world has discovered this truth. The secular world has discovered that when men and women work together in mutual partnership, companies perform better financially. Statistically proven. Here are some of the benefits of gender diversity as discovered by a study on the membership of corporate boards. Okay, so this is a corporate study that I think is proving a fundamental truth about how God has created us. Gender diversity promotes better understanding of the marketplace. It increases creativity and innovation. It enhances problem solving, improves competitive advantage, and raises individual team and company performance. The world has discovered the truth of how God created us. Interdependent. The study also makes the observation that these benefits are only realized if female board members aren't marginalized or pressured to behave like men. No crying in the boardroom. Mutual, interdependent, and shared leadership, it takes work. Because homogeneous groups are much easier to lead. I think men and women can both agree to that, right? Homogeneous groups are much easier. Communication is simpler. Men are from Mars, women from Venus. Like that whole thing, right? Like, it's just simpler. Homogeneous groups are cooperative. There are fewer emotional uh, conflicts. Mixed-gender teams generate more opinions and critical questions, and more conflicts arise. Well, it also means that decision-making can become more time-consuming 
and can be at risk of becoming less effective. It takes work because the world, our brokenness, resists mutual partnership. Our brokenness says one of us has to be in charge. One of us has to be the top dog. And it's in the fall that that, comes into, that that conflict began. So worship, this is what Paul's talking about, right? Honorable conduct in worship. Honorable conduct in the church is when life honors the God who created us. Paul doesn't simply teach this principle. It's also reflected in his ministry. So in the final chapter of Romans, Paul sends greetings to the leaders in the church in Rome. Now, I know you can't read this. That's really not the point. Uh, But highlighted in uh, bold are the names of the people that Paul sends greetings to. So those are highlighted. There's 29 names. And on the next slide, you'll see, maybe it's better. Yeah, it's, the, the women are in pink, <laughs> and the male names are in blue. A third, a third of his co-workers a third of the apostles he mentions and the friends that he mentions are women. Friends, this is countercultural in the first century that Paul sends the letter to Phoebe, with Phoebe to the church in Rome which also probably meant that when she arrived with the letter, she was the one who read it to them. That's God-honoring worship. So I'd led Mayfair Church over a period of seven years during which um, the council and the membership of the church committed to a significant change in the ministry of the church to reach the neighbors, to reach the neighborhood with the gospel. And we wrestled, uh, because church renewal takes a lot of energy, a lot of work, And we wrestled uh, with the fact that the changes in ministry, some of the changes were alienating long-term members as they lost some of the characteristics of worship that they had grown to love. And to creatively imagine uh, new ministry strategies and implement new ways of doing things it was it was difficult for the whole body there was one point when we had a council so the leadership team was 10 people 
There were six men on council and there were four women on council at this particular time. And it was a time when the resistance of longtime members was at its high. And the discussions around the council table with this diverse group of people was dynamic. Like every part, every member was included in the discussion. Every person participated. Both men and women contributed to how, how was God leading us to lead the church forward. And with varying emphasis, they were sensitive to the effect it was having on the members. At one point, a female elder recommended that we visit every member of the congregation to listen and to bring down the anxiety that was in the congregation. Now, there was lots of discussion about whether or not that was what God was leading us to do. There was some fear about actually sitting in people's living rooms and hearing directly about uh, the dissatisfaction that was we were experiencing. But we discerned and adopted the recommendation. And within about eight weeks, we visited, so in groups of two, we visited every adult member who was open to a visit. And it was an intense couple of months. But the initiative would not have developed in council if it, the council wasn't diverse. There had been previous times when the council was less diverse and the recommendation was made and it was tabled. The initiative led to greater unity in the church. Now, it doesn't mean everyone was happy. It doesn't mean they were satisfied with the outcome. But they were no longer angry. And it took men and women working together for creative solutions to how to love the body of Christ while pursuing his mission. It was beautiful, quite honestly. Now, I, too, have had to like go through a transition in my understanding of the role of men and women in the church. I didn't always hold this position, the one that I've discerned from Scripture. You know, I was 42 years old when I returned or went to seminary, when I went back to school. And my, most of my adult life was wrestling with, God, how is it that you gave me the gift of leadership and yet no place to lead? It's much easier to lead women's ministry without the men. That homogeneous group thing is real. So consecrating myself, being set apart for ministry, meant I had to wrestle with what is God saying about men and women in the church how does the Holy Spirit distribute the gifts? We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. We can't talk about that without saying, 
worship that honors God is men and women showing up as men and women as they were created, making space for each other, mutually independent or interdependent, not independent, interdependent, using their gifts for the flourishing of his church and for the advancing of his kingdom. Thanks be to God. Amen. May I pray for us? Okay. Yeah, as the worship team comes up. Our mixed-gendered worship team comes up. Just a little illustration. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you uh, for your word today, for setting us straight in some regard, uh, for bringing us back into alignment with your desire for men and women together, reflecting your image and bringing forth your kingdom in the world. So, Lord Jesus, uh, it's our desire that you are honored and glorified We thank you, Lord, I thank you for the ways in which men and women are equally invited to to, um, embody and to participate in the worship that takes place here at Gold Avenue. God, I thank you for a co-pastor model with both a woman and a man as pastor. Lord, I thank you for the men and women who have responded to your invitation to use their gifts for the building up of this body. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pour out your spirit on us, that we would go forth into the world with greater confidence in who you've created us to be, a greater realization of the gifts that you've given us, and freedom to live them out in honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, In many ways, we're landing where we started. If you remember the worship that we did at the beginning of the service, we praised our God as one who sets us free, and we praised our God as a God of love and a father of love. And you think about how a good father loves and values his children regardless of gender. And a good father sees and values the differences and the gifts and the characteristics of each child and sees it as special and worth celebrating. And so this is God's gift to us today, that we are set free to live in the fullness that he's made each one of us for, regardless of our gender. And so as we go from this place, would you receive this blessing from the Lord? The Lord bless you to be secure, confident, and completely at home 
with who he's made you to be and the gifts that he's given you and the place that he's given you to use them. And the Lord bless you to value and honor the gifts and gender of those around you. And Gold Avenue Church, the Lord bless us all to live in the fullness and the unity and the freedom that God designed for us. Amen. If you would like to pray with someone, we'll have prayer partners available. And beyond that, go in grace to love and serve the Lord.